Hi, you're listening to Designing Yourself. My name is Paul McAleer. And this is Whitney Hess. This week, we'll be talking about intention. Plus, we'll be sitting down with the great Gina Trapani for an interview. And as it turns out, she knows a thing or two about intention. And I spent a lot of time, years, four or five years, reviewing personal productivity apps, to-do list apps, project management apps, and thinking about all the ways that people try to get organized and and articulate and to articulate their intentions in order to reach their goals. That's all coming up on this episode, so stay tuned. So let's talk about intention. Intention. Well, it's a good time of year because it is the new year. It's our first episode after the new year. That's right. And our intentions uh, to record have been very good ones, I would say. <laughs> but it hadn't it hadn't quite happened until this moment. So yeah, we we had the intention of starting sooner, but it didn't happen. And that's the interesting thing about New Year's resolutions, too. We intend to do things differently or better, but actually doing them is a lot harder than having the intention, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that, too, because what, what, the way I see it is that when you, when you come up with New Year's resolutions, basically you're kind of giving yourself a chance to start over. You're giving yourself a chance to try new things or get rid of things that you see as bad or change habits or change behaviors or change attitudes and kind of all of these things. And I feel that the intention in almost any case is a really positive one because I don't see many people making New Year's resolutions that are really bad. Like this year, I'm going to drive like an asshole. I don't see many people really doing that. <laughs> I don't see that happening. Maybe, maybe it is. But I, people go into it then with a very positive attitude, right? And they see this as this is my opportunity to really be better, be more me, perhaps. Um, and that's an awesome intention. That is a great attitude to have. So why do we confine that to January 1st every year? You know, it's amazing that we need something so arbitrary, like the end of a calendar that none of us had any input on designing, right? It's just this thing that we agree to use. We all have to agree because it makes life a lot easier if we're all on the same timetable, essentially. And it's totally arbitrary. And that's the day that we decide to take a step back and set an intention for the whole year. And as we all know, it's impossible to go through the whole year remembering that intention and acting on it because life gets in the way. So to your point, we said it once, but then what? You know, we're not, we don't do it often enough to actually make it happen. And it's interesting because I find that setting the intention in the first place does actually encourage the behavior at first. You know, oh, I'm remembering this was my intention. 
So I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this better. Oh, I'm remembering that was my intention. But then if you don't go back and set it again or reset it as the case may be, you stop remembering what your intention was. I'm wondering if intentions are just too big. I'm wondering about a lot of the typical New Year's resolutions that have probably become cliched and stereotyped at this point. There are things around usually weight loss and uh, eating better and being a better blank. And it's so vague and so ill-defined that is that is the issue that the intention, yes, it's positive, yes, it's good, yes, it can, and can foster a lot of good change. Is it just something that people fall down on when they fall down on it because it's so ill-defined? It's not something that I can just do. <laughs> I can't just be a better carpenter. Uh, I can work toward it. I have to figure out what that means to me. But I, it, it's not necessarily just a state of simply being for that type of intention. Have you ever worked anywhere with 360 reviews? Yes. Yes, I have. Did, did anyone ever make you set SMART goals? Yes. Yes, they have. I am painfully aware of that acronym. So the thing about resolutions is that they're so vague. Like my resolutions are at least like drink more water. Well, how am I going to do that? What's more than what? I don't even know how much water I've been drinking. So how am I going to know when I'm drinking more? Or like, you know, you know, be kinder. They're just so broad. And yes, they're with a tremendously good intention behind them. But the goal itself is so vague that it's almost impossible to achieve, like you're saying. And so I'm immediately reminded of smart goals. And I think this was like a Peter Drucker thing. Mm-hmm. But they're they in order to be a worthwhile goal, I suppose, it has to be smart for those who haven't heard this term before. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. So I think of New Year's resolutions as being time bound by the year. It's something that you intend to have achieved by the end of 2014. Right. At least that's how I think of it. Totally. I, I agree. I think it's really and and I haven't said time boxed in a long time, but it's a very time boxed thing. But gosh, you know, you know, that means there's a lot more work that goes into it. And you might be able to get away with simply coming up with a list of intentions for the year or for any period of time for that matter. But when do you get around to putting the work into it? Is that something that needs to be scheduled? Is that something that needs mini goals associated with it? Or neither of those things? Well, are you saying that intention is not enough? If you're reading between the lines, (laughs) I think I am. And I'm not sure that I agree with that, though, even though... I'm thinking strictly from like a project management perspective, which is a weird place for me to be. But intention can be 
helpful. It can be a guiding force. It can be extremely useful. And it can, it can really kind of set the tone for the way that you want to approach your life or a problem you're facing or anything like that. I mean, you often hear people say that somebody's intentions are good, uh, even though the outcome might not be really good. But, right. Like, you know, like when someone's being a jerk and they're hurting everyone around them and then someone else says, yeah, but he's really well intentioned. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like somehow it's, it's intended to like dissipate how the person behaved because underneath it all, they had good intentions. So can you then can you then be a terrible driver and have the intention of being a good driver driving (laughs) driving is such a softball example so you have to forgive me for going there but yeah i think so i think if every time someone got in the car they set the intention (laughs) of driving well yes that they could actually become a better driver. Yes, I, I believe so. that. And so so even though you're saying intentions aren't enough, I actually think we might also be saying that without the intention, you're never going to achieve that goal. Is an intention by itself a goal? Well, I feel like it... Okay, so maybe setting an intent- intention is different than having intention. Mm-hmm. So let's clarify. Um, intentions might be more innate and not something that people necessarily decide on so that they're just well-intentioned or poorly-intentioned, bad-intentioned, I guess, mm-hmm. may mean that they just innately, naturally plan to do good or plan to do bad and it just call it kind of colors the things that they do but i feel like that's very um limited and kind of a black and white view on people which may not be all that realistic so when someone when someone's just described as having good intentions it may it may mean that they wanted to do something well. And so in that case, isn't that a goal? I mean, even if it wasn't a smart goal, wasn't it still a goal that they wanted to do something well? They intended to do it well? Absolutely. And that also supports any effort people put into things. You know, if you have good intentions and you try at something and whether you fail or succeed or end up somewhere in the middle, your intentions were good and you put in effort. So it's fairly positive. And if you don't achieve a goal, it seems like that's all right. Yeah, I think I think so, because you set out with the desire to achieve something. And, and what I think we're getting at here is it's a thoughtfulness. So you had the time or you made the time to be thoughtful about what you were trying to achieve and you made that your state of mind. And I think that's what I was referring to earlier about setting an intention is it's different than just having good intentions because when you 
set your intention, you are purposely being thoughtful about what you're about to do. And I think that when you when you set out to be thoughtful prior to engaging in something, there's a much higher likelihood of that thing happening the way you want it to, for it to go the way that you intended, if you set an intention prior to doing that. And the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is yoga. So some teachers, not all of the teachers that I take yoga classes with, some of them will say at the beginning of class, when we're first all sitting on our mats and having our initial deep breaths and getting centered and being in the present moment, the instructor will say, you know, set an intention for today's class. Right. Some Sometimes they're vague about it, and then you just have to sit there and think, well, what's my intention today? Other times they're less vague, and they'll say, when you're in setting your uh, intention, think about someone that really needs, you know, positivity in their lives right now. Think about someone who you're really grateful for. Think, and they give you kind of a theme to go with. And then you're setting this hopefully positive. I would imagine if you're in the yoga class, it's a positive intention. And then as you're doing the yoga practice, that person or that thing that you put your mind to in the beginning is with you the whole time. And I found that it makes the practice easier physically. It keeps me more present mentally because when I lose myself and I'm going off, you know, where I'm thinking about my work or thinking about my family or whatever, I'm, my brain is outside of the room that I'm in at that moment. I'm, I somehow remember my attention and I'm brought back. And so it's a way to keep you focused. And then at the end of the practice, when, you know, I've done all that hard work in the room, I bring back to mind what my intention was. And there's like a deeper sense of pride for me, at least, than had I just done the yoga practice and then quickly scrambled, rolled up my mat and ran out the room, got back on my phone and got back to my day. Like there's something that puts a period on the end of the sentence because you've set an intention in the beginning where you're like, oh, let me, I have closure in this and I can recognize the power and the importance of what I just did. And just that moment to do it, like integrates it in a way that without the intention otherwise might not have. Totally. And that's been my experience with yoga as well. The teachers that I've worked with, and admittedly there haven't been too many, um, have really started by asking us to uh, envision and, and set in our minds a person specifically that we want to do our practice for that day. And much like you, I find that when I have someone in mind then it is maybe it is easier but it's it's more of a focus for me i mean this yoga is already about focus and 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 at least in one facet and this helps put as you say that that kind of period and that point on it so one thing i'm curious about is that's a that's a really solid example of doing kind of doing something with somebody else in mind. So your actions are with the intention of helping someone else. 
when we are creating New Year's resolutions, which are, you know, perhaps actions, but generally intentions, do we do them for us or for others? And when we do that, does that affect the way we approach it? I bet it does. Because, hmm. because if it is something for you, it's one thing, right? It's, uh, I'm going to lose weight. I, I hate that example, but it's a very common one. But, right. you know, it, it's, it's so cliched and, and not great. But that's a very common one. That's generally for someone's self and their body. And they see that as a way to perhaps improve health or what have you. But if it's something like I'm going to support my spouse or significant other more, or I'm going to do, you know, and this is again, keeping it vague, but I'm going to do more for my kids or walk my dog every day or something like that. That's more of a putting it out there for someone else and having that kind of energy out there. Um, I just wonder if we just have different standards when it's not us who's the potential recipient of it, even though it benefits us either way. Whether we're doing it for us, we're doing it for someone else, it's still, it's still you know, <laughs> intentions are good. It's still something that's positive for us, ultimately. Yeah, I, I really wonder if it's easier to do things for others than it is for ourselves. I, I feel like, at least for me, that's the case. I know that that is why I'm in this profession in the first place. And I also know that it's why I was attracted to consulting versus working in-house. There's something for me that's so much more appealing about going into companies and working on their problems than it being my problem. Like, I'm the one who has to maintain this thing. I'm the one that has to evolve this product. Like this is going to be me all the time. Like I have to own this forever. And now I have to find the energy to keep making it better and keep getting feedback. And that's like, whoa, that's way harder for me than the idea that I work for this company in this very specific time period, I will be thinking about their problem. We'll be working on their problem. It's their problem, their problem. And, and I can dedicate myself to that. I can stay up all night long working on someone else's problem. But on my own, and I'm talking about a professional setting here, but obviously this applies to personal as well. It's like doing something for myself, we always put ourselves last. We, I think everyone does this. I will be there for a friend in a heartbeat and I will never cancel on a friend, but I'll cancel on myself constantly. Like even when I, when I was going to the gym there, I lived in this building and there was a gym on the ground floor and I had no excuse not to go because you could take like a, an elevator and then go like through an inner door. So even when it was snowing, I could still get there without going outside. There was no excuse. And at first I set a schedule, you know, I put all these things in my calendar. I had the intention of going three times a week at this specific time and I blocked it off so that I wouldn't, you know, um, schedule anything over it. And then I never went. And eventually, I decided to get a trainer. And when I had mm. a trainer, 
and we scheduled time together, I never canceled on that trainer. And I went all the time. Whenever they said, this is our next session, that's when I showed up. And I would never cancel on them because the idea of it's of having set the intention with them and showing them that yes, I did intend to come back at that time that they said canceling that and, and not following through on that intention for them was unthinkable. But setting the intention for myself and canceling on myself was common. I do that too. And I'm curious how you feel about it after you cancel on yourself. Because for me, what I find is that I don't feel or notice the consequences immediately. They linger. Um, I, I'm thinking also around the gym. Oh, gosh, we, we can't avoid it. Um, and it's very different if you have somebody else there who, who's there because that person helps you perhaps be accountable, right? And we're social creatures. So it, it does stand to reason that if, if there's somebody else involved, we feel for them as well because they are also making a commitment, a time commitment to do this thing. I mean, that's kind of why, you know, we have meetings in, in work and things like that. And that's why we spend time with, with other people. But when it is us, is it just that it's not as immediate of a consequence or benefit? Sometimes it can be. I mean, I know that after after I exercise, I feel incredible and can take on the world. But then there are times where it's like, eh, okay, you know, I'll skip it. I'll get, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. My intentions are good. I'll get around to it. I don't notice right away the impact of um, of setting an intention for myself and then not following through on it. But like you're saying, there's like a lingering. It does. It comes back to me. And that doesn't happen if I haven't set the intention. Like if I just mindlessly put something on my calendar that I'm going to do for myself or mindlessly think of doing something tomorrow like, you know, I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to go get a manicure. Like I'm going to treat myself well. I'm going to do something. And I, But I just kind of like it's a passing thought. Then when I don't do it, I don't have that same sense of guilt. But if I've really consciously set the intention to do it and then I don't do it, oh, I feel it. Maybe not right away, but later on it comes back to me and I'm like, God, I wanted that for myself and I still didn't do it. That hurts because I was mindful of how much I wanted it and I wanted enough to agree with myself that I would in fact do it. And I think that's what separates intent, intention from desire, that intention has kind of an actionability. Is that a word? Sure. Let's, let's make it a word. To it. There's something about intention that signals that the action will follow. Whereas a desire is like, you know, I have a desire to travel to Australia, but I'm not going to spend any time tonight figuring out how to get there. 
Like, I, I don't really believe that I'm going to go there anytime soon and I'm not going to work on that. But if I were to set the intention of going to Australia this year, then throughout the year in little ways, I would be working on getting myself there. And I, I think that there's just action implicit in intention. I'm thinking similarly that it feels a lot like, gosh, I keep coming back to projects, but it feels like setting, you know, setting an overall goal and then ugh, developing a project plan for it. But really, really kind of narrowing it down to the smallest, littlest thing that you can do if you want to do it. And one thing I'm wondering as well, as we're kind of talking about this and how it relates to other people versus ourselves Maybe one of the things that's really powerful about New Year's resolutions is it's, it's a time when everybody gets to really focus on themselves. We are giving ourselves collective permission to do that, and this is the time to do it. There really isn't too much other time in the year that I can think of, like on this arbitrary calendar and all that good stuff, where we collectively say, hey, this can be for me. Because there's, you know, there's lots of stuff for other people, and that's very good. But this is the one, it feels like this is like the one chance that everybody gets every year to spend time focusing on themselves or ostensibly spending time focusing on themselves and what they're going to do for the year. And I can't think of any other time when by a calendar, by a shared schedule with lots and lots of other people, we do that. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't do it on January 3rd or October 9th or any other day of the year or week of the year or what have you. It's just that I'm wondering if part of it is just the collective attitude and positivity around New Year's, um, which is mixed with a lot of negativity as well, just getting rid of those, those negative habits and those bad habits. But is is that a key part of it as well is that this is the time when everybody gets a free pass and can focus on themselves and it's quote unquote okay but any other time it might not be okay because you're doing it on your own and i think totally there's something about the social aspect of it i think you're dead on that there's something about the fact that everyone else is doing it too that makes it more acceptable and i you know a couple things come to mind one, you say, you know, this is the only time of year that you can think of. But for me, it's actually another time of year, which is even more serious than the New Year's resolutions, which is which are the days of atonement between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh-huh. And that's the Jewish New Year. And the Jewish New Year has a different... Um, a slightly different angle on the whole thing. I feel as though New Year's resolutions are more about the future, what you want the future year to be. And the Days of Atonement are more about looking at your past year, identifying what you didn't do so well, how you didn't treat people very well, maybe how you didn't treat yourself very well, and making the vow to do better next year so it it's a slightly different perspective but the activity is similar and you kind of you know you do your reflections and you make your amends over the course of these 10 days between rosh hashanah and yom kippur and then on yom kippur when you're fasting for 24 hours you are essentially asking for forgiveness from God or from 
whomever you you depending upon your beliefs um and yes even though everyone of us may be jewish we feel differently about our relationship to god or to ourselves so you're kind of looking for that sign that you are in fact absolved of your sins for the previous year and you're setting the intention to not sin again in those same ways at least mm -hmm. in the coming year and what i find so wonderful about that time of year is the knowing that other jewish people certainly not all of them because not everyone celebrates or observes in the same way but a lot of other people are doing this same thing and it is internal but it's collective and I have you know been asked in the past or I've had conversations with friends who are not Jewish about this and some who are Catholic and they liken it to confession but what's so interesting to me is that even though confessions available year-round and you can basically always go into the booth and use that as an opportunity to reflect on the past and set better intentions for the future, you have to have the initiative to do it yourself. That it's not like every single person in the congregation is doing it at the same time. I don't know enough to, to know how it works, and I'm sure that like it's during mass or before mass or after mass or something where there's like office hours, so to speak, <laughs> that the that the priest is in the booth taking confessions. But I I still feel as though so much is required of the individual to get themselves to that place where they can go in and set the intention to be better. Whereas for us in Judaism, it's like, this is the day on the calendar, you know that everyone else is doing it, and then you go to synagogue on Yom Kippur, some, some people do, and everyone there is fasting together, and you're kind of all in the same boat, and it's mo more akin to these New Year resolutions, whereas you're saying everyone knows this is a time of year where you're working on yourself, so it's more allowed to set these intentions that are for your own well-being than, you know, all of the intentions that we have for our behavior towards others during the year. Right. And yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Catholicism because I grew up Catholic and the and most of my stuff, I've, I've honestly, I've forgotten. But one thing I do remember is, you know, you mentioned with confession, it's kind of a, it's kind of a one one on one thing and you have to do it on your own. And that's true. Um, but I will tell you that one thing I thought as a kid was that the priest just kind of hung out in the confession booth and were just kind of ready to go at any, any time. <laughs> I thought they were there kind of all the time and you could just like drop in whenever you needed to and, and do that. And that's, that's not quite how it works. I later found out one thing. So is it, is it like office hours? Uh, I've forgotten. <laughs> I've totally <laughs> well, forgotten. Maybe one of our listeners is Catholic or knows how this works, and we can find out if, in fact, confessional hours are like office hours, and they're like posted somewhere, and people know about it. I, I suspect that that's the case, and I also would imagine it varies per congregation. I don't, I don't think there's any—I don't know. Maybe there is a standard for that. Um, 
One other thing we had discussed a little bit earlier that I want to uh, come back to is also intention and desire and that difference. That made me think about the difference between intention and attitude because we've been kind of talking about the notion of having good intentions and being well-intentioned kind of in general. And, and the way I've heard that and really kind of thought about it is that it is how someone is. So is there a particular point at which intention crosses over into attitude or is it, or is it simply that you, you have all of these positive intentions and good intentions and thus you are well-intentioned? Does it just kind of snowball up into, you know, into who you are? Does it go the other way? Um, is it, can someone be ill-intentioned and yet be a, a, a good person? I mean, are these, are these things, are these things that, that go together? Are they separate? Is it all, is it all connected or are these very compartmentalized? I'm, I'm feeling like they're pretty connected. I'm feeling like it goes, it goes well together, but it's also, you, it's not like you can't change from being a, a you know, an ill-intentioned person to a, a good intentioned person. I think it's certainly possible. I don't see that as being, you know, well, that person's just always going to be bad or anything like that. I don't, I don't see that at all. Um, but is it, is it simply that in order to be regarded as well-intentioned either by yourself or by others or both, uh, it's simply a matter of, you know, doing these little things so often that it just becomes rote for you. Well, if you want to become well-intentioned, you have to set the intention to become intentioned. I think that it's, you know, there is a relationship to attitude, but I also wonder if it's not just, because attitude is kind of emotion. I feel like attitude is the, the emotions with which we say things, the how, the way we do things, but it's less about kind of something cerebral and more about something that's innate to us and the qualities that we're bringing to the things that we say and the things that we do. And so like when I'm doing a persona, for instance, with a client and we're going through, you know, pages and pages of notes from user interviews and we're sussing out what the common attitudes are across user interviews. Mm -hmm. The little shorthand that I give them for attitude is I feel. Uh. And I, I, so I feel as though there I go feeling something. <laughs> I, I believe that attitude and emotion are very connected. Whereas intention I think is more of the mind. Um, I think that if, but, but that it becomes attitude, I'll put it that way. So we, we have an intention, it's of the mind, it's a, it's mindfulness or a thoughtfulness about how we want to approach something, how we want to achieve something. And by setting that intention, by being mindful of it, that eventually it becomes our attitude. And so when someone says, of another, they're well-intentioned, 
What I think it might mean is that even though the attitude was negative, it came across as negative, it was perceived as negative, they didn't act the way we wanted them to, but they were well-intentioned. I think that means they had the mindfulness or the thoughtfulness to behave well Mm -hmm. or to feel well, but that it didn't become embodied. So they set out wanting one thing, but they weren't able to embody it. And that's why we experienced it as being different than how they intended. And I, so I, I do believe that it's connected to attitude, but I think that it precedes it. I agree with you on that. And I like the idea of, I really like the idea of embodiment being a factor in this as well in part because it, it feels like we've mostly been talking about the mind <laughs> during our discussion and um, the body has just kind of been not, not as big a factor, I guess, but it, it, it hmm, is attitude. Well, attitude is something that, that encompasses the body, right? So can intention encompass the body as well, or is that strictly a mind thing? Well, maybe it needs to start in the mind by, you know, having intention is a mindfulness or thoughtfulness about how we want to behave and how we want to feel, but that it's just the beginning. And so if we don't act on it and we don't incorporate it into our heart, if we don't live by it, then it's just intention, which means it's only in the mind and that's the only place it stays. And I think that that helps clarify what we were talking about earlier with regards to if they don't do it, if there's no follow through, you know, does it still count? Well, perhaps it does, but it was only of the mind. It wasn't of the heart or of the body. And so it has less meaning, not no meaning, but it has less meaning and less power because it wasn't integrated in the person in those three ways. They're, they set the intention, so their mind was on it, but they, their mind, they couldn't get aligned with their heart, how they feel and how, what their attitude is towards it and how they act, how their, how their body is toward it. That makes sense. It's really then it becomes all thought, no action, right? If if the intention is there, it may be, you know, extremely positive, extremely helpful. But if there's no follow through, hey, it's good that the intention's there, but there may be this longing or this desire or this need in some cases to see more, to see what happens when that intention is really is realized. Yes. Within somebody, within their body, within their heart, within their whole selves. Then that's the, that's kind of the exciting stuff. I totally agree. And I think that that, that is exactly right. That, you know, we, we grasp on to what went well. And that was that the intention was set. So even though it was 
great thought but not great action, we're still able to recognize that the initial thought was there and give credit where credit was due. But overall, it has a lot less power because there was, in fact, no follow through and the intention never got embodied. That's right. Yep, that's exactly it. So, wow, we cracked intention. We did. But I have a question. Uh, do you do New Year's resolutions? I do. You do. I don't. I, I have done them every year for as long as I can remember. Oh, wow. And I, I don't do resolutions during the Yom Kippur time. I, I take a different tact with that but i actually you know january 1st i sit down and i write my my resolutions and i don't look back on them that often i look back on them more like january february march but then as the year goes on i kind of forget about them (laughs) but i i do set an intention for the year this year though for the first time basically ever i didn't write a list of 10 And instead, I only had one, and I wrote a blog post all about it. I I didn't think I was going to share it because I don't think I've shared my resolutions in the past. Maybe I have, and I'm misspeaking. But it's not usually something that I do for anyone else. I'm just doing it for myself. So I I don't intend to share them. But this year, I also didn't intend to share my resolution, but... I ended up sharing it anyway. It made sense for me to do it. Um, and so you can go check out that blog post and read all about what my my intention for 2014 is. And I think it was, if memory serves, it was to reference Greece in every other tweet that you posted. Yes, that was it. Which is a great, great one to have. Such a good intention. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I, I appreciate your your validation of my good intentions. Oh, absolutely. You're quite welcome. <laughs> that's not that's not really it. It's an excellent post and um I won't I won't, you know, just fall over myself saying, Wow, it was great, but it was really truly great. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you for reading it. Wow. My intentions were good and so were yours and I I think we did it, as you say. I think we got our intentions fulfilled. Well, I look forward to hearing if any of our listeners have set their own intentions, either in the form of a New Year resolution or use it in some other way. So if you're listening and, you know, intention is something that you do and something that you set and you have a method for doing it that you want to share or you just want to totally disagree with everything we said we welcome it so please be sure to get in touch absolutely we want to hear about the way you approach intention as well and what it means to you so don't be shy Gina Trapani is the founder and creator of ThinkUp and ToDo.Text. She hosts two technology podcasts, This Week in Google and All About Android. She is the founding and former editor of Lifehacker. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you, Gina, so much for joining us. 
thanks Welcome. so much for for having me. I'm so excited to to be on the show because I've listened to every single episode, and now I feel like I'm I'm getting to like live in an episode like you know live <laughs> and for real. I actually this is this is the only podcast that I that I listen to that I have on multiple occasions had to pause it and just think things through, like think through what you were talking about um, and then restart it, you know, and start it again to continue the conversation because it's such a sort of deep and thought provoking um, approach to, to, to the topic. So I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So the episode that we're, you know, every episode has its own topic and, and the episode that we're working on now is all about intention. And when I mentioned this to you, Gina, you said, you know, I actually built this to-do list app, but it's really an intention list app. <laughs> so I was curious to know, what did you mean? What is an intention list app? <laughs> well, you know, Winnie, I've heard you talk about to-do list before, and I've heard you say that you feel like, you know, writing things down on a list and crossing them off the list and being focused on crossing things off the list sort of takes um, takes the thoughtfulness out of life and just keeps us busy without uh, keeping us kind of focused and conscious and mindful of what what we want to achieve. Um, and, it, and it made me smile because I think to some degree that is true. But so I build a to-do list app. It's a it's a very simple to-do list app. In fact, it, it purposely doesn't have very many features. You're not going to find, you know, uh, flags and stars and recurring tasks and dependencies and sharing and collaborations. You can't assign things or you can't even add due dates. I mean, this is like very, very simple, flat, plain text uh, list. And I started building it uh, in 2006. So it was like eight years ago. And I've been, you know, sort of it's a side project. My effort and time and, and thought kind of waxes and wanes o over time, depending on what else is going on in my in my life. Um, but I thought a lot about the app. It's my, I, I mean, I use it every day. I sort, I kind of live by my to do list. Um, and but I, I thought a lot about what that means. And to me, a to do list is an intention list. And what I mean by that is. I think that keeping a list, I'm a writer, I have to write things down. If something isn't written down, it doesn't exist in my world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to me, keeping a to-do list is about thinking about what my goals are, where, where I'm feeling pulled at the moment, what are the things I've seen in the world that have stirred something in me, and, and creating an action around that. Uh, to get to that place, you know, I want to be that thing. I want to. Uh, I want to try that. I want to find out more about that, and then creating an an, an extra action in my head. Well, what's the first thing I would need to do? Do I need to type something into Google? Do I need make a phone call? Do I need to, you know, read a book? And then putting that in a list, and putting that in my to do list. And then at some point, because I've written that down, it will happen for me because I look at my list and I live by my list. And eventually, I either do it or I decide I don't need to do it. Or, um, you know, sometimes when I'm really busy, I ignore it for a really long time and then wonder what the heck it's doing there. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess that, that's what I meant um, about a to-do list. For me, being an intention list, I really think that your to-do list, your intentions, which are, which, which are, I think, synonymous with goals and visions, kind of define who you, who you are in a lot of ways. Like, it's your aspirations, that's a really interesting way of putting it, that inspira um, intention and goal and 
an intention for yourself, a goal for yourself are synonymous to you. So what is it about creating a product that's built around capturing your intentions that is something that you were interested in doing? Why were you driven to do this? Well, you know, I, uh, I wrote, I, I founded Lifehacker, which is a, a productivity app site, uh, which, and which I led for, led the editorial team for like five years. And it's a, it's a tips and tricks uh, and productivity app kind of site. It's, a, it's your typical kind of tech site that, you know, tells you about keyboard shortcuts and how to process your inbox and all that stuff. And, and, and that's fine. And it was fun. And there's a giant appetite for that sort of thing. And I spent a lot of time, years, four or five years, reviewing personal productivity apps, to-do list apps, project management apps, and thinking about all the ways that people try to get organized and and articulate and articulate their intentions in order to reach their goals. Um, and I fi- so I finally decided to write my own app because I, and this is kind of what nerds do. Like, and it's a terrible thing <laughs> that nerds do this. I mean, I, I'm a programmer, so I had the ability to do this. So instead of actually crossing things off my to-do list, I decided to make a to-do list app. That's a whole other neurosis that we could talk about maybe in another show. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I I I built it because I wanted. Uh, just a very very simple way and 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 like i said a purposefully feature uh a very simple app that didn't have a lot of features i wanted a way to keep track of what i needed to do over the long term and i wanted to have you know a log of all the things i intended to do and did it or didn't do and i have that i have this giant text file that's like thousands of lines that dates back to 2006 um because i think that what you want to do and what you have done and what you've decided not to do that's all sort of just a part of your path in a way it's been kind of a a journal in some ways for me. Wow. So you've, you've got, you've got a record of all the things that you've done since 2006, essentially. Yeah. I mean, everything that I've, I've written down and completed. Yeah. Because the, the system, it's a text, it's a text file based system. So it's a to do, mm-hmm. to do file. It's a to do text file. And then when you complete something, it goes into a done text file. And I've had mm-hmm. those text files, which I, I use a text format because, you know, any editor can open it. And if the company dies or if, you know, Outlook decides not to, you know, import it or whatever, uh, I'd still have it. So yeah, I've been carrying that around with me since, since 2006. So, so it's a, it's a long, and I, I can't say that I look at it. I don't look at my, you know, done.txt file very often, really. Um, but I like to know that it's there. Uh, and I like the idea that the data kind of came with me and it's this long standing record. That's really fantastic. <laughs> I I would be floored to have stuff that I did in 2006 with me. I mean, it would just be, I, I can't even imagine how that would feel just knowing that I had that sense of everything done. Well, I'd I mean, be horrified to see what I was doing in 2006. <laughs> it, is kind, it is kind of horrible. Well, both of you are long, long-term bloggers, right? I mean, both of you have been writing online for a long time. You talked about this a little bit on the show, right? Like looking back at your archives, it's the same sense of horror as looking back at your blog archives. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've mentioned the to-do.txt um, and kind of having to create this you know, wanting to create this system and, and just a way to get this information out. And now you've got ThinkUp, which I'm a user of, and I think Whitney is too, right? Yeah. And and it's it's pretty awesome. Um, I get a lot out of it. And I see it as being a little different than intention, but I'd love to hear kind of how it fits in with, you know, with, with to-do.txt and kind of everything else with 
intention versus organization versus motivation, kind of where it, where it fits in. So think up is the idea of think up is that we all spend a bunch of time on social networks, uh, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Foursquare, Google Plus, whatever, Instagram. Um, and the idea is like all these companies have all this data about us and they use it to profile us and advertise to us, right? Because primarily these networks are advertising based uh, um businesses and but there's all this data out there and it's available via these apis and what can we find out about ourselves through our own data that we're you know sort of pumping into these systems all day for for those of us who use these systems who use social networks uh, avidly so thinkup's purpose is to kind of help you see you know what is your impact on the network when you participate on it like i i'm not i'm not one of these people who says oh you, you're wasting your life on facebook or twitter i actually think it's the opposite um i think that participating on the network actually has a great impact you can reach lots and lots of people uh, more people than my parents certainly could have reached you know without the internet now by by just you know typing a, a very a very short message you both know this you both have 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 big audiences on these networks um and so the, the, the point of ThinkUp is to kind of show you how you're spending your time in these networks, who you're reaching, what, what content that you put out there had the biggest impact or got the biggest response, um, and how like your time on these networks is actually you know, meaningful. And rather than be a Google Analytics style dashboard where it's just a bunch of charts and it's up to you to kind of interpret what the charts mean, ThinkUp's goal, and, and we're, we're getting there, we still have a lot of work to do, but we're getting there. ThinkUp's goal is to tell you when something interesting happens that you should care about. And it's just kind of a, an alert stream, like, oh, hey, somebody that you um, might want to pay attention to just followed you. Or like, hey, you know, people are describing you using this word by putting you in these lists uh, this way. Like, does that make sense? That kind of thing. It's sort of an automated blog about yourself <laughs> and how you're spending your time and how you're participating and how you're connecting and what content you're sharing on social networks. So in, in a way, it kind of is a productivity app. In a way, it's like, oh, try to you know, get more from your time online. Um, but it, it's also more just about, you know, what are you putting out there in the world it, online? And what are, you, what are you getting back? And ThinkUp's goal is to encourage you to um, kind of use your superpowers for good, right? Like these social networks give you superpowers. And how can we use those powers for good? The thing that sticks with me about ThinkUp and the way you describe it, too, is that it's not necessarily itself about what you're intending to do, but you kind of see the effects in a way. Yeah. Right. Because one of the things that I find valuable about valuable about it is, you know, seeing how many additional people, you know, saw a tweet because somebody else retweeted it or I retweeted it or what have you. But having having that sense and that perspective on it really gives a little more information than just, you know, just the 140 characters on Twitter. Yeah, I mean the idea—the idea was really kind of mindfulness. So, so I was working on ThinkUp when the that terrible school shooting in Connecticut happened, and um, and I found out about it on Twitter. I wasn't watching the news. I don't really watch the news, right? I watch Twitter, and um, I was watching people kind of react. And you know, most of the reaction is you know deep grief and sadness, uh, you know, awe, what a, a terrible world this is, outrage about guns. And I wanted to say something about it, but I wanted to say the right thing. You know, I wanted to say something respectful. I wanted to express my grief. I wanted wanted to make a change. I wanted to act in that moment, right? Because we always want to act in those moments of terrible tragedy. And, you know, I wound up like retweeting uh, a link um, for an organization that that um, works towards gun control, right? And I, 
and I really kind of struggled. I was like, what is the right reaction? What is the thing that's going to help in this moment? What's a good thing? And that and that tweet, due to mine and a bunch of other people's, really traveled far. It got retweeted far, far and wide. And I think that organization's website went down and they got more money, you know, than they had in a really long time. And that was just a kind of really small way to kind of to, 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 to do something. I felt like I had done something in the moment. And I actually, that was one I, I built one of ThinkUp's insights, which tells you like how many more people saw a tweet when you retweeted it. Mm, that's um, one of my favorites. Mm, yeah. Yeah, mine yeah, too. Because it's the idea of like, if you have an audience by retweeting something, you are sharing that audience with someone else. You're giving someone else that audience. Everyone's always about like, how do I get more followers? ThinkUp's about the other, the opposite thing. Like, how are you giving other people more followers. Um, at least that's our that's our goal. It's not just a tool for yourself, but it's a tool for others. I love I yeah. love the mindfulness aspect of that. That's cool. That's like the difference between to do to do's and intentions. I think is the, is the mindfulness aspect. I can see how better understanding how your behavior has an impact can help you set a different intention. If in fact what you're seeing there is not what you wanted initially or it surprises you in a way that makes you rethink how you're using these tools and how you're behaving on them right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we're talking a lot about kind of you know what we were with with the to-do list of these are the things that i want to achieve these are the things that if i achieved would make up the person that I want to be, having that perspective, having those goals. And I think that for a lot of people, especially if they were to see their behavior reflected back at them the way that ThinkUp does, they would be very surprised that in fact, oh, it's not achieving what I had set out to. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on how you think you move from an intention to action. So for just wanting to be a certain way to actually following through on that. What's involved in that process? <laughs> that is the hardest part, right? Like the hardest part isn't doing the thing that you decided to do. The hardest part is deciding like what, what you need to do. Um, so I think when you have an intention, I mean, so often our goals and our visions and our dreams are 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 very amorphous, right? Like they don't have hard edges. They they're and they're these big giant things that can sometimes be, you know, a, a long term decision. You know, for 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 eight years, I had this vague notion that I wanted to become a parent, uh, but like that, especially for me, because I'm I'm in a I'm in a same sex couple. I'm in a same sex couple. You know, becoming a parent for me was like fraught with so many possible decision paths and ways that I could possibly, you know, kind of become a parent. So it's like one of these, like, I have no idea where to, where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is like the, the difference between having a dream and having intention. I mean, for me, an intention is like, oh, I'm doing this. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not someday maybe I'd like to speak French. It's like, oh, this, this is going to happen for me. I, and, and that's the essence of what an intention is. And I think that once you get to that place of, oh, this is happening, I'm going to do this, and I need to make it happen, and I'm going to move whatever mountains I need to in this universe to try to make it happen, I'm at least going to do my best to try to make it happen, I think that's when you start to break it down to what's, what's the next action. Not to get to getting things done on you guys. I don't know if either of you have read 
David Allen's uh, Getting Things Done book. I, I, and I apologize for bringing up a productivity yes. book. Yes, I'm yes. very Honestly. familiar with it. But <laughs> yes, you, you are. We want to hear your take on it. I And, and it's fully deserving of many, many eye rolls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, his, his whole thing is like breaking down, breaking down, um, goals into next actions and next actions as small as like pick up the phone and dial this number or you know uh type type up two paragraphs about a, a topic um and i think that that's like the toughest part about getting anything done is breaking it down into what is the next thing i need to do to move myself just a tiny bit closer to the end goal it's so funny that you brought him up because um I, in general, try not to prescribe to these things, but right <laughs> now, right this very moment, I have on my big whiteboard his, um, I'm pretty sure he's the one that came up with it, the four quadrants, yes. important, not yep. important, urgent, not urgent. <laughs> yep. And in the past, I had avoided such things, but I'm finding myself spread very thin just at this one moment in time, I had gotten much better at it, but there was a lot coming down on me right now. And I was having a hard time deciding what to do first in large part, because the most, uh, most of the stuff that I've got going on are personal projects. Mm -hmm. And I'm very used to having other people define deadlines. And so that's ultimately how I decide what to do first is what's due soonest. But for this, now I've got my my four quadrants here, and the thing that's pushing it closer to action for me is, is it in quadrant one, which is both important and urgent? So I like your point about how it's you have to just move it forward a little bit at a time that kind of pushes you closer and closer towards action. Yep, yep, and that's... That's what it is. It's just at the end of the day, I just want to be able to say, you know, if if I can't say I completed something, I want to at least just be able to say I'm a little tiny bit closer uh, to that to that thing than I was than I was yesterday. And that's I mean that's that's a big accomplishment. Yeah, it, it definitely is. is. <laughs> it definitely is. And you know, I was thinking about um, earlier too when you you were talking about creating something on a to do list. You had said that you might encounter something that kind of strikes you and you have to add it to your list. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we're all kind of familiar with GTD, <laughs> I'm curious, is it is it something at that point that comes in your list as, as something that's big and amorphous and vague as you put it? Or is it, are, are you already thinking about that next, that very next step? So I, I actually prescribed the GTD method, uh, not very closely, but kind of closely. So like he, like Alan has his notion of like a someday maybe list and a next actions mm -hmm. list. So next actions is like, I'm doing this and I thought this through enough that I know exactly the next step that I need to take. Even if I don't know all the steps, I at least know the next step I have to take. And to me, that's a to do. Um, if if I see something that I have some sort of vague notion, you know, if I'm watching the Olympics and I have some sort of vague notion that someday I'd like to try snowboarding, right? I, that's a, that's a someday maybe thing for me. Like if I feel an urgency, like I must try snowboarding, you know, this year or this winter, then okay. You know, the next action might be start researching places to go snowboarding near me. Right. Um, but if it's just sort of a, a vague thing of like, Oh, this is, you know, this is interesting. I'd like to look into this more Then that goes into my kind of someday, someday maybe list. And, and I try to try to review those lists, um, 
I've got next actions and some someday maybe. And then, you know, he, he's got this other, or all these other sort of notions of like 10,000 feet and 25,000 feet kind of short term and longer term. I, I, I don't go that far into it, but <laughs> I do have sort of a, I think that there's a place in our, in our psyches for um, this is something that I have a vague interest in, you know, if I, if, if I, if I'd like to go to Barcelona someday and then, you know, but, but I don't, you know, have immediate plans, but a conference comes up there that I, you know, I have an opportunity to go then it's like, yes, that's, you know, that, that makes that decision easier. And for me, it just becomes more real um, and, and sort of in, in my world if I've written it down somewhere. So for you, it's, it's a lot about taking that idea and writing it down and then, you know, at some point combing through it and then breaking it down to those next steps. Right, right. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So intentions for me have next steps. Like I'm doing this and this is the next thing I'm going to do about it. Whereas sort of dreams or just sort of interests uh, can, can, can be you know, maybe, maybe they're not actionable at the moment and that's okay. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Sure. It it sounds to me like you see intentions as having a sort of immediacy to them. Maybe not an urgency, but like they're in the Mm -hmm. present tense, not Mm -hmm. just like something that perhaps I'll get to in the future. Yeah. I mean, my intention can be like, I'm going to look into this again sometime and I've got no deadline. I mean, that, that, but that's the, that is the loosest, I think, of intentions. For, for me, an intention does, is tied to action. If I have an intention that I'm, I'm going to do this and, I, and I'm making a, it's in, it's, it's in my system. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do something about that pretty, you know, in the foreseeable future, let's say that. I'm curious, too, about moving from intention to giving something your attention mm-hmm. um, because there's mm-hmm. so much that's, that, could compete for it, right? And, yeah. and Whitney, you had mentioned the four quadrant setup, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of people just do latest and loudest. So whatever is the current thing, yeah. they they respond to that, and it's not arguably not terribly organized, and and it gets us away in general from that sense of intention and what you're doing with it. So I'm curious then what what are the steps that you take, and how do you give something your attention? I I get really unhappy and discontented when I don't feel like I'm moving forward in the things that I want to be moving forward in. And, and, and there are times when I'm just busy at work or life takes over and, and, and I'm busy and there's a lot of urgency every day. But if I'm, it, and, and I don't move anything on my to-do list for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I start to get really cranky. <laughs> and I feel like I'm in some sort of urgency holding pattern and I'm attending to, to other things, other people, uh, other problems that don't matter as much to me as, as my, as my stuff, as my intentions, as my, the projects that I really want to be in. And and when I start to get cranky and I start to wake up in the morning and feel like I'm working on stuff that I don't want to be working on today. I'm working on stuff that other people are foisting upon me versus the stuff that I've kind of decided for myself. Then I know I just have to, I got to change something up. Uh, I got to delegate. I got to clear my schedule. I have to take a mental health day off from work or whatever it, it, it is and kind of get myself back on track and be like, what's going on here? Am I procrastinating on the stuff on my list because it's not it's it's not thought through enough? Am I scared? Is this stuff that I really don't want to do? Am I truly just mm. tied up with stuff at work? Like, is work mm. so crazy that I can't take, you know, you know, take care of my of my stuff? And if, if that's the case, then I have to, you know, adjust some dials there. Um but yeah, it, I, I start to feel that, like I start to feel like stressed and cranky. And, and at that point I, I step back and go like, okay, I'm not, I'm not moving toward the things I want to move, be moving toward. And I'm feeling, uh, I, I feel, I feel bad about it. Like I start to feel, uh, just, just, I start to feel this like weird sadness about it. Like I'm, I'm not getting done when I want to get done and I need to figure out why. I'm also wondering too, before you hit, was there a time, first of all, before you had to do lists or were lists like always <laughs> a part of your life? 
I, you know, whenever I felt kind of scattered and disorganized or, or like I couldn't make sense of what was going on in the world, I always kind of sat down and wrote and wrote, if not a list. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as I get older and busier, it, it, it became more like instead of writing a journal of what happened to me that day, I would just jot lists of things that I wanted to see happen um, okay. in the future and, and, or in the next couple of days or, or what, I, what I'm going to do next. Like I, I became maybe to a fault. A little bit like I'm having this problem and these are the things I need to do to solve it, uh, um, which can be a fault. I mean, sometimes you just have to be in a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's that could be argued that, you know, you're trying to mm, just think ahead in that problem mm-hmm. instead of being in it. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've, I've found is that if I <laughs> like you, if I don't make a list about something, <laughs> then I try to hold it in my head. Yes. And it fails. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I feel bad about it afterwards. I feel mm-hmm. almost, I don't know, I, I get a little cranky with myself about it too. <laughs> but I just feel like, well, I, I guess I can't keep all that in my head. And then I, I go back to, oh, yeah, I need to go back to GTD or get it into things or what have you. Mm-hmm. But just yeah. get it out of my head. And I'm not right. convinced that the stuff that stays in my head by itself is necessarily the best stuff that I need to be working on. I mean, I, if I don't write it down and then have another opportunity to make a choice later about where I want to set my intentions for the day, the week, the month, what have you, um, you know, I think that it would just be almost random what I ended up doing. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. It's relieving this mental pressure, right? It's relieving this feeling of like, oh, this, all this stuff is in my head. And if I don't do something about it, the, the writing it down for me is the externalizing it makes me feel like, oh, I can I can look at all this now on a page and now I can make an informed decision. I can weigh all these things against one another, uh, mm. seeing them kind of all all laid out. I, I've, um, I've worked at home uh, or I've worked remotely, I should say, for the past seven years. So like externalizing what I'm working on and why I'm working on that thing sort of became part of my process because I had to communicate those things to my to my coworkers. Um, so and so that helped me a lot. Right. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, I wasn't in the office w- w- with folks, so I had to I had to communicate, you know, wh- what it is. And it usually was through text as I work for in, in tech companies. So people don't really do phone calls a whole lot. Right. So it was usually like <laughs> sure. email and, and project management system. So so writing it down uh, for me is like step one of the solution of to everything of, of you know, what's what's going to happen today. Awesome. So we have been talking about setting intentions for doing things, this whole conversation. So Gina, I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on setting intentions for how to be, not what to do? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. You guys had that great episode about identity and being something versus doing something and how, the, and how that, those two things relate. That was definitely one of the episodes I, I had to pause a couple of times. And, you know, it's funny, it's like I, you know, you know, the last 18 months or so of my life has been in crazy transition upheaval, Uh, had a child, moved across the country, you know, closed around to funding for my company, launched a product, like a lot of a lot of stuff. And I was thinking about <laughs> oh, that's all. That's all. That's all. Just, Just four things. A lot, Just a four lot things. of stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about like, you know, what did those and these are all these are all goals that I've had for, you know, a long time, you know, ten years or more. And they all just sort of came together at the same time in the past eighteen months. Um and you know, what like <clears throat> there's two ways to have a goal, right? You can say like, I want to be a parent 
or I want to have a child, right? It's that, it's that sort of identity versus doing. And mm. I, I do think that identity is linked to what you do. I mean, I do think that calling yourself a writer, if you write every day, is completely and utterly legitimate, regardless of whether you're writing in your journal or writing for a magazine. Um, but when you aspire to be a certain way, or we intend to be a certain way, I still think that it is attached to doing. Like if I, if I aspire to be a calmer, more thoughtful person, then for me, and I'm not saying that this is, this is true, but for me, that's attached to like, what are the next steps for that? Or maybe that means that I try, you know, quiet meditation more often. Maybe that means that I exercise more, you know, to sort of burn off some, some of the stress or whatever that means. It often is attached to kind of activity for me. Now, be honest with us. Okay. When you decided to set the intention to be a parent, uh-huh. were there to, were there to do items that went on your list? <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> there were, there were. I mean, well, the first two item was have like extensive conversations with my partner. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Extensive good conversations. That could be a recurring to do yes, item. That, yeah, that, that could have been a recurring to do. Um, but you, you, you want to know the truth? Yes. During the whole time we were trying to get pregnant, my to-do list looked like, you know, research sperm bank, like stop by fertility center, call doctor about pick up drugs. Like seriously, I mean, this is, this is what getting pregnant means when you're doing IVF, which is what we did. I mean, it's a lot of, this sounds really cheesy, but during the Olympics right now, they're airing this commercial uh, that shows the athlete kind of getting on the medal stand. And then there's this, they do this rewind thing. Have you seen this where it's like scenes from the athlete's life, like, like as a teenager in high school and, you know, uh, elementary school and medals they got as a kid, like going all the way back to the time when they're a baby and they've just, you know, gotten on skates for the first time or just gotten on skis for the first time. And the tagline is something like, you know, every big moment has, you know, a million little moments behind it. Um, and it's cheesy and it's a commercial, right? But <laughs> it's totally true. Like the night my daughter was born, I was like, oh my God, this has been this has been two years of like medical, financial, emotional, and not to mention like decades of scientific achievement that like yeah. made this possible. Mm. Um, and my to-do list totally had something to do with that. You know, also my wife. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean it's all it's all part of it. Amazing. <laughs> Sorry if that was TMI, by the way. I, I've written about this. I've written about getting pregnant, uh, so I feel like uh, all the details are out there anyway. So I, I hope it's okay that I <laughs> shared that. No, this is exact. We like going deep. Okay, good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, you tell me. I've been talking a lot. Tell me a little bit about how you see intention. Um, the, the two of you, I, I want to hear it from you too. Well, we have, we've grappled with this because part of what I, what I struggle with is, is intention enough? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's easy to say, oh, well, I, I intended for it to work out well, well, it didn't. I didn't do what was necessary to make sure that it did. Or Another way that this word is used a lot is, oh, but he has the best of intentions. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's going to excuse the bad behavior on the surface of things because deep down in his heart, he's really a good guy. 
So I, I struggle with it and I struggle with what differentiates intention from, from goal and, and the things that we've been talking about quite a bit. But I do know that without intention, that whatever outcome there is, is essentially random. So for instance, when I, um, I, I do yoga regularly and before I, the yoga class starts, the instructor will often say, set an intention for today's class, someone that needs some support right now or something that you are looking to achieve in your own life. And the practice of today will fuel that essentially. And I often find that the physical challenges that may arise during that hour, hour and a half, are easy to overcome because I have the intention in the back of my mind of why I'm doing them. So it makes everything easier. Um, Mm -hmm. And without the intention, it's just, it feels like it's just a physical thing that I'm doing. It's just exercise. And I can easily judge myself or give up or not push as hard um, or look at everybody else and see what they're doing and I'm not doing it. and, And I just get stuck in the physical thing. Whereas when I have that intention set from the beginning of who I'm sending this up to, or even if it's just the intention of don't judge yourself during this class, then there's a purpose that underlies what I'm doing with my body. That's so interesting. So do you think that by having that intention that you're actually helping that person or you're helping yourself? (laughs) I mean, both. I think, Mm -hmm. first of all, I'm Mm -hmm. definitely helping myself get through it, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's possible to send the energy out. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, it's all um, interrelated. I believe that we're all connected, and I I do feel strongly that when I have an intention or I've put myself in a mindset that's purposeful that not only does it help me feel better, but I exude that and then that reaches all of the people that are around me. And maybe I'm thinking about someone who's across the country, you know, around the world or not even living anymore. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it can't get to them directly, but I think in a way it ha- it still has an impact even if I can't see it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing about intention is that it's it's mostly just about getting your mind right. I mean, just because you intend mm-hmm. to do something doesn't mean it's going to happen. Even if you try your best and do every single thing that you possibly can, it doesn't mean it, it, that it's going to happen. I, and that that was part of one of the things that I really had to accept, too, is like, sure, I was saying earlier, you think, oh, intention, I'm oh, this is going to happen for me. It, that's not always the case. And, you know, trying trying to become a parent by, you know, was like part of that was accepting that it might not be in the card cards for me for whatever reason. Um, and that's, that's, yeah. it's tough to really commit to something and, and try your best when at the same time you have to understand that the things that happen in this world are pretty random and you can, you can try your best, but that doesn't mean it's actually gonna, that's actually gonna happen. But it, so it is mostly just getting your head right, getting your mind right. And, and, and having purpose behind your actions, but also being ex- you know, able to accept that you're going to do your best and then whatever happens, happens. Right. And it, it feels like with intention, that's really 
a state of being that you want to aspire to or get to, right? Mm -hmm. And the actions are the things that help make that happen. And if they're lined up and everything and everything goes in a certain way, then that can be extremely powerful. And if it doesn't happen, as you said, that's something that I know I would struggle with and, and have struggled with too, where there's an intention for a certain outcome and then all these actions are lined up, everything, I do everything and it doesn't happen anyway. Yeah. And that's just kind of letting go of that attachment to what you, what you expect to see. Because it might not happen. And what you think you can control. What you think you can yes. control. Because you really can't control anything. I mean, I've had situations where I just knew that this thing in front of me was absolutely the right thing for me. And it was definitely going to happen without a doubt because I just felt it. And then it just didn't for wh whatever reason. Mm. And that, that can shake your sort of belief in, you know, <laughs> make you feel like what's the point of, you know, of trying for anything. If, if this is just, if this is all just sort of random and, and you know, my gut feeling might not be right. or uh, And sometimes... It's just not knowing, like not having an intention, not not having a goal um, or not knowing where you want to go. That's almost scarier or yeah, as scary. Yeah, that's way worse as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. That gives me anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> just sort of being adrift <laughs> and being like, I don't know what I'm trying for right now. Because to some degree, yeah, trying or striving is, I mean, that's that's sort of our default state. Like that's our happiest state as humans, right? We got to try. Shooting for something. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important for us to restate, Gina, what you were just saying, which is that we can have the best of intentions, but ultimately we can't control our circumstances. We can't control the people around us. We can't control the natural order of things. You know, so many things are conspiring often that are totally outside of our awareness, let alone our control. And yeah. sometimes we set these intentions and then things don't turn out the way that we wanted them to and it can feel really disheartening. But what I try very hard and often fail at, but continue to try hard at remembering is that I can't control anything outside of me, but what I can control mm -hmm. is me. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I can still work on my mindset. I can still take care of my mental, emotional, and physical health. And if it doesn't, you know, if I don't get the results out in the world that I'm looking for, well, so be it. But in, at the end, I'm still going to know that I did what I could for myself, that I planned to do well. I planned to, to do good for others. I, I, I intended to be great rather right. than giving up or just saying I'm going to take care of myself and screw everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but really having a purpose and, and a meaning behind what we do. Absolutely. You know what you were saying earlier about, you know, when something goes terribly wrong and someone says, well, that, you know, that wasn't my intention or you had the best of intentions like that. That is really frustrating when you're on the other side of it, right? But I try to remember those circumstances in which I didn't intend for something to go horribly wrong and it did, or I, I meant for something to go right and it didn't, um, and and I didn't have control. I mean, sometimes I do think that people get a pass or people give a pass um, for thoughtlessness. Like, I think there's a difference between um, thoughtlessness and, you know, truly just things going the wrong way you know intending for them to go one way and going the wrong way um and it's and it's hard to tell what the situation is when especially when you're sort of on the on the receiving end of a, a bad situation 
um, that you feel like someone else could have, you know, helped avoid or, or done better at. Well, Gina, I would love to talk intention with you for the next, uh, three hours if I could, but <laughs> unfortunately that's all the time we have for today. This has been great. You guys, it was really so great to talk to both of you. I'm really so honored. I'm so happy that the show, uh, the show is back and, um, I can't listen to this episode because I can't stand to listen to myself, <laughs> but I look forward to your future oh. guests for sure. Oh, Gina, thank you so much for taking the time to not only be a part of the show, but also listen and, and give us feedback. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Gina. We're such a fan of yours. So it's wonderful to have that mutual connection. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Designing Yourself. Thank you once again to our very special guest, Gina Trapani, for joining us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Designing Yourself is hosted by Whitney Hess and Paul McAleer and is produced and edited by Whitney Hess and Paul McAleer. Our theme music is All Heroes by our Deacon Music Productions with some rights reserved via Creative Commons. You can follow Whitney on Twitter at Whitney Hess and you can follow Paul at Paul McAleer. If you like what you heard on this episode, stop by our website at designingyourself.net. You can subscribe to the show via your favorite podcasting app or via iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback. So if you have an idea for a topic, a guest, or just want to say hello, you can call our listener hotline. Just call 1-404-500-SELF. That's S-E-L-F. You can always reach us on Twitter at DesigningU, and our super secret email address is designingyourself at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon.